Hello, and welcome to Rethinking Legal Ops, a podcast by Speed Legal. I'm Ashwari Saxena, and here we talk to legal experts, industry leaders, and innovators about the many ways that legal tech is transforming the way we practice law. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Sandro, Rethinking Legal Ops. Really appreciate you coming here. And we're so happy to have you here. You know, you've done a lot of work in, in legal tech. And you want to begin by um, introducing uh, yourself, telling us a little bit about what you've been uh, up to and how you got involved in the legal tech space. Sure. Thanks for having me. And uh, thank you for that intro. I am... Um... I am trained as a lawyer. I practiced law uh, for over a decade and I um, worked in both firms and then private practice started my own firm. And I got into legal tech sort of inadvertently. Um, I, I was practicing in family law, so primarily divorce. And I was working with individuals that typically would find it pretty expensive to pay, you know, three, at the time it was $300 an hour. Now it's gone up to four or $500 an hour, you know, to, to pay for a dissolution of essentially a family estate uh, where, you know, you're not getting bonuses at work for getting a divorce. Your, your expenses are going up. So it was a real problem. So I ended up trying to basically allow my clients to do more. And, and then I would kind of assist in the back end um, called, it basically was called limited scope consulting so you you kind of provide your advice on the back end and and then enable them to do a lot of the more tedious work and this being the bay area i knew a couple developers so we spun up some technology and all of a sudden i was on stage at TechCrunch pitching an online divorce platform <laughs> so that's how i got into legal tech um and uh, i've had a couple iterations since then that's awesome. And uh, yeah, what a unique way to like think about um, bringing like legal tech to like the family law space, which is um, which uh, I, I don't think I've seen a lot of apps that facilitate that process and um, really love learning more about uh, separate uh, as well. Um, and you talked about some of like the tedious parts, um, you know, the law, like helping clients do more, you know, spend less money and time, but at the same time do more, which is something that resonates with uh, us as well at Speed Legal, that's what we're called, you know, we try to do uh, more with, you know, less time. And that is ultimately the, the whole point of legal tech is to reduce the human effort, um, maybe not entirely replace lawyers, but aug augment and optimize their uh their, their work, and we do that on the contract review and risk analysis part. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how much of lawyers work today with the currently available legal tech that we have in different fields, whether that's contract review, we're doing uh, e-discovery, um, CLM, um, things like that. How much of that can actually be replaced? Are we talking more just about first year associates or second year associate jobs or paralegal jobs are we talking about? Um, what is the ambit of work that can be replaced at the moment? That's a great question. I mean, I think that's anybody's guess. Um, and and I'm just gonna give you my educated guess because things are, it's a fluid situation. Technology is doing more things than people imagined. And you know, there's a lot of people that are freaked out about what it can do, especially with AI. Um, 
But it, it seems to me that I think the practice of law is going to be kind of bookended a little bit. You're going to have senior level lawyers running teams of non-lawyers with an assistance of technology. That, that's, that's my sense because there's a lot of, there's a lot of tedium in law. Uh, doc review, even legal research. I mean, I remember when um, when I was working at a law firm and we had a civil litigation department, we had different departments and the civil litigator um, who you always assumed, at least when I was in law school, they're, they're heavy into Westlaw and LexisNexis and he was getting better results on Google, you know, and that was that was really eye opening for me. Like, whoa, you mean just you just found a case that this other your 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 actual uh, you know second year associate took two hours to find. You found it on a Google search. So I think legal research and doc review. I think that's if it's not already been automated, it, that's going to be automated. Um, uh, I was building out um, discovery platforms. So how do you interact with the client? to get the, the, the facts that you need to, to have evidence to support your claim. I think there's probably, well, certainly cheaper to not talk to a lawyer if you have an interview. Um, and I think technology is, is in many ways going to generate a better interview for somebody that wants to provide information in chunks of time. It's overwhelming. Usually legal disputes are emotional so you can put a lot. There's a company um, that I can mention in the, in the estate planning space that that has a design focused approach. Right. I, I think I think there's a real um, there's a real benefit to having a design focused approach in things like this company in particular is in estate planning. It's called Trust and Will. And, you know, they're dealing with people thinking about death. Right. So I think design should be more of a focus. Um, and so that is helping people put together the tedious documents. But I, I think the lawyers are going to provide the discretion and the judgment um, that I, I just don't see that being automated anytime soon. Um, and I think that, um, for example, right, negotiating um, before a trial, I don't see how that's going to be automated anytime soon. I mean, one of the classes I used to teach at my alma mater in law school was negotiation and settlement. And, you know, we can go into more detail if you'd like, but, but, you know, we, we spent a whole unit on essentially small talk uh, beforehand, uh, trying to establish common areas of alignment, because if the parties are at a loggerhead um, with reaching an agreement, um, they may find areas of alignment that are out of their field of scope of the legal dispute. But, you can actually use that as a win-win and then build a settlement off of that. I, I think that requires a human touch and I don't see how you can really automate that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I think that when we talk about like AI and stuff, like it's completely replacing lawyers. Um, uh, I think that human touch, as you're saying, that is still absolutely vital, but do you think that that human touch can be made, um, can be augmented just by using AI? For example, you were talking about how like practitioners, like lawyers are generally like, you know, they get freaked out sometimes about legal tech, right? Like, oh, it's replacing my job. Like how can you completely replace my job? But do you think that 
uh, there is a way that they could use uh, legal tech to um, their advantage to gain that competitive edge because they reduce the conversion, the, the tedious tasks. So they could focus more on that, you know, the creativity uh, or that uh, human touch, like finding more common ground for the client because they're not bogged down by unnecessary paperwork or hours and hours of doc review. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned creativity because I... I find that to be a really interesting concept in law. I, I think I think that lawyers, many lawyers are frustrated creatives in many ways. Um, and um, when you go to law school, you learn how to spot issues, apply a rule and analyze it. So there's some creativity involved with that, but not a lot. It's fairly rigid. And I agree with you. I think that, for example, um, when I would interact with clients over similar issues, uh, I eventually developed a checklist. And so I would replicate a similar intake process. Um, I think AI, for instance, or just any sort of automation could assist my interview and remind me of things to look, you know, if the, if the client answers like this, go down this tangent or go down this, you know, it, it could keep me focused and structured so that I can know that that is contained and then it'll actually free up the lawyer. Their headspace can be freed up to be creative. Um, there's such a threat of um, doing something wrong in law that I think it, it makes lawyers a little paranoid of doing the wrong thing. I mean, if you look at when I used to get like paper publications of like the ABA journal, I mean, I remember all of the malpractice advertisements were like literally there was one with a lawyer with his pants down at the bench and he was, he was saying like oh, you don't want to get caught with your pants down. it was it's fear i mean that's what law school uses right to motivate i mean i don't know if they're still doing socratic primarily but it's all fear-based and it's hard to be creative when you're freaked out so if you can use automation and ai to let the lawyer feel comfortable that like, okay, this is the process you always do. And if you use this, you're going to get all the evidence you need and you're going to cover all the bases. Then I think there'll be more freedom to be creative, but getting lawyers to transition to that. Uh, I certainly found that challenging because lawyers are really afraid of a lot of things going wrong because the consequences are so dire that um, persuading them to trust something new and kind of chill out. <laughs> That's a bigger challenge um, than I think most people realize. Um, and I think that's only going to change over time as people just become accustomed to technology. But it's not an easy sell. It's it's not at all, actually. Yeah, no, totally. I, I think just uh, I think the key thing is there, like just getting lawyers to like chill out and accept like change, because uh, even today in law school, it is still the Socratic method. It, it is still like cold calls, <laughs> that, yep. that type of stuff. Um, you know, like keeping you on 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 your edge. Well, I mean, there's benefits of that. Is like you do your your readings, but then you're also a little bit like nervous and trepidatious when you go in, and like someone tries to change the structure, and it feels it can feel scary to lawyers. Um, you know, there are spaces that I sometimes see that changing in. I was recently in New York attending Legal Week, 
And it was just amazing to see hundreds of you know lawyers just there asking about legal tech, saying that, oh, I'm so tired of doing like you know discovery. Like I just need to go and buy an e-discovery tool, and I need to buy it now. Uh, so just seeing that type of enthusiasm, I you know when you were talking about like slowly changing, I, that really resonated with me. I'm seeing a little bit of that happening already. But you teach at UC Hastings as well, and we're talking about just um, how legal academics works and how you know, that kind of molds us and shapes us into legal professionals when we graduate and practice law. Um, what are some of the things that you do uh, with your students, maybe a little bit differently, to maybe get rid of the fear element and get them uh, a little bit more accustomed to be acceptable to to be uh, able to accept change or be open to that, so that when they become uh, lawyers and when they go out and practice, they don't have to have the same sort of like rigid rigidity in their in their mindset. Yes. Yeah. Well, I can't say I'm always successful because it's not easy. Um, it, it, because it's only one class, um, which I'm not currently teaching, but it's it's one class amongst a three-year curriculum that is pretty focused on the Socratic method um, and some practicums. So this is more of a practicum class and we don't use case law. We don't, um, we don't apply rules to disputes. It's, it's a practicum and we start, I always start with having all the kids, kids, all the, all the, the baby lawyers, all the baby <laughs> lawyers take um, a Myers-Briggs like, like personality assessment that will get them to think about their personality and how that informs their negotiation style. Are you competitive? Are you collaborative? Are, you know, are, are, do you, do you uh, compromise a lot, right? So thinking about you as, a, as an individual, not as a lawyer, but as an individual with a style, and then hopefully that starts triggering cues like, you know what, at the end of the day, at the at the bottom of every dispute is a human, right? Whether it be a business to business dispute or a, an individual dispute, it, it's people, right? And so you start with them and then you meet them there and then you bring in your human element to try. And I mean, a lot of the of the of the students didn't actually know how to develop a rapport with their clients. They, they, would, they, they were good at applying a, a law to a fact pattern, but how do you get the fact pattern from the client? You don't just kind of interview them like you're a police officer at the crime scene. You have to establish trust. You have to connect with them. Maybe, maybe you both have kids and maybe you want to talk about what it's like to have gone through homeschooling for COVID. I mean, now you're starting to build rapport and then you weave in facts. So that's a skill. So I would try to start with that. And then they realize that, you know, yes, you need to know your facts and you need to know the law and you need to know the judge, right? You need to know all of those things to effectively represent your client. But once you've done that, you know, 80 in many areas of law, 80% of the cases settle before trial, right? So why are we preparing all these law students to go, uh, you know, wh why do I have to go to moot court as a mandatory class when I'm, I'm the chances of me arguing at an appellate court level are extremely small. Uh, the, 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 the likelihood of me negotiating a case uh, before trial are extremely high. So why don't we make that a mandatory course? 
right? And, and let's talk about the human element, which I think is something that I think is evolving now in law, but it's not been the dominant thread of, of legal uh, academia. And I, I, think, I think that's a huge oversight. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And when you're talking about how at the bottom or behind every dispute, it is ultimately a human being and being mindful of that human element, but whether when it comes to like practicing or interacting with clients or even picking your legal tech tools, it's super important. Which brings me to my next question about accessibility. Um, legal work is not the most accessible things, but uh, one of the most accessible things when it comes to family law. Um, immigration law, in particular, um, are two very relevant to um, you know like low-income households uh, or um, you know, marginalized people who can't always go and access the type of help that they need. How do you think legal tech helps make uh, legal work more accessible? Is it mostly just about the cost, or um, what do you think? Uh, well, certainly, cost is a huge factor that precludes a lot of. Um, uh, low-income clients, I could imagine immigration being a huge one, um, from even thinking about talking to a lawyer. Because I think most people know that, you know, A, lawyers can be difficult because we like to argue, and we are expensive, right? So you're not even going to bother looking to see if there's options out there because you just assume it's just not even going to, you know, you're not going to be able to afford a first session, right? So technology could be a really good way to open the door to learning about what the options are. For instance, you know, there was a there was a there was a company that we partnered with early on called Typeform and it had a really elegant logic-based interview, right? If you answer um, in my case, right? If you answer after your your biographical data if you say you have children, then you'll get a number of questions related to your kids. And if you say, you know, that's the last kid, then they will stop asking you questions about your kid. And and it it will customize the intake uh, in a way that precludes what I think a lot of um, people assume with law is that there's, there's just a ton of intake, there's a ton of questions, there's a lot of legal forms, it's overwhelming. Most of it doesn't apply to me. You can streamline an intake that makes it very applicable to you and you can cut down the time um you can throw in little little uh ui tips you know like if you if you reach i mean how many times are you when you're filling out some sort of intake form on a any sort of service you buy online how many times are you looking for like a progress bar you know a lot and and with legal i would really love to know if i'm halfway done with this intake form for this immigration attorney uh, and if I can see that, or maybe I can log out, log in, and then resume, I think that's going to increase the likelihood of an immigration attorney getting more intakes because they're like, yeah, you know, it wasn't that bad. Um, this thing took, uh, you know, 10 minutes to do, and I was able to feel a sense of progress. You know, it's like game theory, right? That, that's why, the, you know, that, that works is because people want to know how far along am I. And, and I think, you know, traditional legal intake has been, um, you know, it's almost like a doctor's office. You just get a bunch of forms. Half of it really applies, half of it doesn't, and it takes forever. And, you know, 
you know, with medical, it's a little hard to say, well, I'm not going to go to the doctor because usually people get that they need to go. But with legal, it's kind of like, ah, I don't know, I, you know, maybe I don't need to do this or maybe I can afford it. And then you, you have a drop off. And I think with intake and with getting it data from clients, I think, I think tech can really, um, I don't want to say make it pleasurable because you're always dealing with something that's uncomfortable with law that people generally don't want to talk about, but you can, you can certainly ease the pain of that and make it more appealing. Yeah, I really like the comparison with the doctor's office. I, I had a professor who uh, once was talking about, you know, like the, the bedside manner that's like, you know, it's kind of similar to, uh, you know, like a doctor's bedside manner, like the way they talk and interact with patients and tell them like difficult news. And then the way that lawyers do, often lawyers are not necessarily trained um, in, in that particular human element or, you know, what you would call, uh, call it the client interaction uh, part of, of our job. And we tend to also throw in a lot of like redundant information. Well, this really is a remote risk, but I'm mentioning just because, you know, like I want to be sure that I'm, we go back to that issue spotting mode. Uh, and I've, um, uh, I've, um, seeing this with a lot of like immigration attorney or like injuries attorney, they'll be like, oh yeah, this is a really bad thing that could happen. Like your case could totally get rejected, but it's a very small chance, but I just want to like flag it uh, over here. Do you think that legal tech can also help um, lawyers uh, communicate better with clients who are going off of everything you've been saying so far? I'm not sure. You know, I'm not sure. I, I think so. I think so. But you, know, you bring up a good point. Like I, I did some work in personal injury um, uh, with with law firms there. And, you know, they're often in situations that are life changing and traumatic and super painful and uh, on, a, on, a, on a number of levels, including physical pain. Right. And I think actually having a human to human interaction is going to provide an emotional comfort um, that I don't think technology can totally replace. Um, but if it makes it easier to start a process by just opening up something on your phone and starting an intake, um, then I think, I think it could. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's really, as we've seen with, with COVID, right? It's, it's, it's really important that we have human interaction, right? And so that part, I think, has a, a huge role in disputes that are involving a more emotionally rich topics, right? Like, I think, I think if you have like a business dispute that I'm not implying that business disputes are not emotional. Oftentimes they're like, you know, they're like business divorces sometimes. But but if if there's not a ton of emotional charge that requires like the soothing uh, presence of a human that has bedside manner, then I think I think technology will will add more. Um, but in situations where it's it's really loaded or where there's a lot of litigation, I think that's what makes it tough. Um, in divorce uh, with with apps in divorce is that it's um, it's often um, acrimonious and litigious. And so there's so many different variables that could go into any case. There's really no there's no cookie cutter divorce. Right. Um, but with like the company Trust and Will that I mentioned or or um, in, in discovery, like 
there's actually kind of a path that is fairly predictable and and then i think technology can play more of a role because you have the whole accessibility thing you know i think there's a number of areas of law where people are just not getting any benefit uh from uh from lawyers or from legal um and you know how many people have um have the right immigration documents that need them how many people have um you know estate plans uh, that need them how many people have um an advanced healthcare directive, right? How many, there's there's so many areas of law that need, or, you know, updating custody agreements because, you know, your kids are in a different school, you know, all of that. I mean, there's so much stuff that's not, there, there's so many, there's so many added, there's so much added value that legal operations uh, or legal documents can provide that people are not accessing because we're too expensive and it's just too uh, the you know it's too complicated and people have their eyes glaze over i think that that's where technology can provide a, a light touch that just keeps things updated and allows people to have more benefits from the legal system that i think is still struggling with an accessibility crisis it, it really is especially the courts i can go down a whole path with 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 courts and how they need to update their procedures because i think Talk about intimidating, going into a trial, going into a courthouse, having a bailiff, uh, you know, having a, you know, a, basically a TSA kind of like a metal detector. And that's intimidating. Um, and I think there's ways that technology can help um, provide more accessibility to, you know, if you pay taxes, you pay for all the staff, including the judges at court. I mean, that's a public service you can benefit from. And most people don't go into court. There, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think technology could help that. Absolutely, and apart and in terms of like accessibility, just apart from uh, low-income clients, also uh, smaller companies that find legal work very, very intimidating, like startups in particular. Um, I have I have friends who have you know, they're innovators who have their own startups, but their legal work it largely just gets ignored like a lot of the times it's just like with download a template like you know write something on their own and then that ends up creating disputes with like the employees and they forget to sign their ndas so in the innovation space in particular how do you think legal tech can help um uh, i think i think that's a really interesting question about like startups and legal compliance because i'd often get I was at an accelerator and, and I had all the, um, all my peers were, were coming to me, you know, a family lawyer <laughs> that uh, asking about corporate compliance and what do we do with our cap table? And, and you know, I didn't have good answers except don't hire a lawyer until you need one because your legal fees are gonna eclipse um, your ability to get profitable and get the traction you need to continue to raise seed rounds so that you know frankly look having a lawyer and having a legal representation and going over a dispute about you know equity um equity allocations amongst the founding team or advisors that's a luxury to have if you are successful and the majority of startups fail so why burden yourself with legal spend envisioning scenarios that uh you will only have if you are in the small minority of startups that actually are successful. And then you have the luxury of people fighting over a highly valuable company. So there are, um, there's definitely room 
for innovation in that space. Um, I'm actually, uh, well, I guess it's a stealth project, so I can't mention it, but there's definitely, um, there's definitely going to be some interesting developments in corporate compliance for early stage startups that cannot afford, afford a, a partners at a, at a law firm that's experienced in M&A work and, um, you know, founding companies. Um, I know that a lot of um, accelerators like YC and, uh, and others have developed um, safes and innovative tools to allow people to take on debt for early capital raises without incurring a legal spend. But then what about when you're a little bit further along and you have some traction and you're raising more money from bigger venture, but you still haven't proven that you're big enough to really worry about um, a lot of the, the problems you could have if you have a valuable company, but you need to be compliant with your corporate responsibilities. What do you do in that space, right? I think there's a lot of room there. And I, and I, think, I think technology can, I mean, for like routine updates to the state of Delaware, if you've incorporated there, like you don't need a lawyer to do that, but it's tedious, right? Tech, right? I think that would be a great opportunity for that. Yeah, and also protecting IP it is often something that um, gets ignored. Say, like, oh, I, I created this. This is mine, right? Well, um, there's a lot of layers to that. Yeah. They may not necessarily. Right, for sure. For sure. Trademark, you know, I, I think there's been some innovation in that space, you know, patents, all of that. I mean, that's in incredibly important. But again, um, super tedious and um, a lot of nuance. Um, and I'm, I don't have specialization in trademark or patent, but, um, you know, I suspect it's the same thing uh, in the areas that I'm familiar with, where you're going to need a senior level attorney to run a team, but you're not going to need a team of associates billing out at high rates. You're going to need, you know, maybe like a customer facing kind of customer success person that's like telling you like, hey, you know, here's where we are at the patent application. Um, here, you know, here's what happens next. I mean, you know, I, I like talking to clients, but why do why do I need to bill my time to just give them an update on the the filing at the USPTO? Uh, it's it's unnecessary, um, and I don't even think you need a, a paralegal or an associate. I think you could just have like a customer service rep. Um, but then if things get tricky and you need discretion and judgment that that you can only really get from a, an attorney with experience, you're going to need that attorney. And so I, I don't think lawyers are going to be going out of business anytime soon, if at all. But I think the way cases, the, the way uh, a, a client um, works their issue forward is going to be handled by uh, a multitude of players, including a technological assist to the legal effort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. I really like the point you made about um, uh, legal tech where I'm not putting lawyers out of business, but just changing the way clients approach their legal work and maybe also creating more of an opportunity as you were talking about earlier that might be less intimidating for someone to go into a lawyer's office if they really need to if they can have uh, maybe an app tell them that this is not necessarily something you need to go to a lawyer for versus uh, go go to a lawyer this is substantial enough work and with like patents and sort of those long-term processes, it could take to like two years for uh, you to be able to get a patent so imagine retaining a law firm or a lawyer for the entirety of that time and you know just like paying them like 450 500 an hour just to get um an update that oh yeah we're we're still in the same process you might hear back from them and stuff like that so yeah yeah uh, 
Well, I was going to um, say there's also like the 80-20 principle, right? Like, you know, 20% of the of the professionals are doing 80% of the work. I think a lot of good law firms are just overwhelmed. And I think sometimes things slip through the cracks. So they're not able to just give the update. Like, yeah, things have moved along and here's where we are. Why not enable more lawyers to do more of the work so that um, you don't have a small percentage of the professionals doing the majority of the work and then a lot of of the other professionals struggling to find clients. I think if, if you, if you can even it out, then it, you'll actually get more people getting the legal help that they need. Absolutely. We agree with that. And just uh, building, building on that, what is the, um, what in the legal tech space, uh, if you had to pick just one thing, whether that's access, uh, making legal work more accessible, whether that's uh, more efficiency, whether that's uh, in, encouraging creativity. Uh, if you had to pick one thing, what is that thing that you're most excited about in the legal tech space, the transformation that it's making? Accessibility, for sure. Um, I, I, um, I mean, it's it's a it's a passion of mine for lawyers to be more creative. <laughs> I think it's unrealistic, and I think it's you know, it'll happen hopefully over time, but I think that's a long game. Um, and I, I think efficiency is happening because it helps the bottom line of the law practice. And, um, you know, you tell a business they can be more efficient and they're going to do it. Um, but what really excites me is accessibility because uh, I can't tell you how many times when I went into court, I would look around in the courtroom and more than half the people have no lawyer and don't know what they're doing. Um, but they got to go to court because they have an issue and they've been given a subpoena or what have you. Um, and a lot of those people, um, if they're, if they got some elbow grease and they, they go to the legal aid clinics or they talk to the court clerk, I mean, they'll get some version of help, but there's a lot of bureaucratic red tape. They can't give legal advice if they're a clerk, but, you can also just kind of convey, uh, okay, let's say I'm consulting you, right? And you have a, a legal question. I can't, even technology currently cannot say you don't need to see a lawyer, right? But they can say, you know, in circumstances like yours with similar scenarios, m the majority of people don't see a lawyer, right? Now, I'm not giving you legal advice. I'm a, I'm a robot, right? I'm not giving you legal advice, but I've given you more data. And then you go, okay, I'm not going to see a lawyer, right? How many people would benefit from something like that? A ton. And, and that would make law way more accessible. And that really excites me because, I, I mean, I enjoyed going to law school. I think legal education is wonderful. And I think applying principles of issue rule analysis conclusion and, 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 and legal thinking is really useful for resolving a lot of human problems. But we're, we're too caught up in our, in our, in our legal world um, to realize that a large percentage of people feel like they can't get the benefits that they need. And so there's a huge gap. And Technology, I think, presents our best opportunity to to narrow that gap, and that that I think would be really inspiring. And um, and you know, I think 
will lead ultimately to people being um, leading happier, healthier, less um, less uh, conflict laden lives, uh, ideally, because um, you know a lot of disputes can get staved off earlier than people think if if you have the right information early on. Absolutely, yeah. Acting early, uh, I, I think it's uh, is also key for a lot of like, legal work. Um, I, again, in my conversations with my friends, uh, mostly for like startups, they're often saying that I just didn't want to deal with it at the time, so I did nothing about this particular IP infringement, and now I have zero control over it, or right. I did not resolve. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, then, I agree. Yeah, I was just also saying that. Often there's also like issues between co-founders that they're just like, I'll just stop talking to you. And then when they're trying to get acquired, it turns out that, well, you need uh, your other co-founder. You gave them a bunch of equity that you did nothing about at the time of, you know, breaking off your um, your uh, relationship with them that, yeah, that you did nothing about. And now you have a big problem. So, yeah, acting early and uh, making law more accessible, uh, getting people to understand the consequences of not acting early or just the different aspects of a particular action that people don't necessarily think about uh, because they're not aware of the law is, I, I think it's super important. Um, to, to wrap up, I just also wanna get back to you know, legal education because I think that's, uh, that's also a very important space where we could be transforming how law is practiced in the future because it's lawyers of the future. Um, how do you think um, legal tech can be incorporated in the curriculum of uh, law schools to uh, get students more used to uh, using technology as a daily part of their work? Because maybe it's hard for someone who's been practicing law for 30 years and now to tell them, you can actually automate all of this work. They might not trust them, but what about young, uh, younger students who are just starting out? What kind of legal tech can be incorporated? You mean the baby lawyers? Yeah. <laughs> um, baby yes. Lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I think that um, we need to borrow from other other areas of professional education. My, my wife uh, is uh, a professor at um, UCSF School of Nursing um, and they do, you know, the medical model does a lot of practicum based work. And, you know, the whole idea there is you learn and then you do, and then maybe you teach, right? And in, in the legal model, it's very much learning. And then you take the bar exam and then you can handle someone's will, you can prosecute a, a, a criminal matter, uh, or you can negotiate a business dispute. No, I, I don't think you can, but that's the current state of affairs. If I've passed the bar in California, I'm legally qualified to do all of those things. Um, I might be exposed to malpractice if I, if I kind of, you know, try and pretend that I have more subject matter expertise than I do, but, but I don't. Right. And, and, and that's that's the problem. Um, I think we need to have more practicum level work that um, that teaches baby lawyers on the job how to do the, the actual work. I think we need to incentivize senior lawyers to uh, basically get paid to provide that that senior level guidance to people that are that are learning how to practice by doing practicums. 
Um, currently, it's tricky to, to get compensation, you know, uh, unless you're in a law school, which, you know, law school salaries are much lower than, than law firm salaries at the equivalent level. Um, and I think in those practicums, you involve technology. So, you, you know, so much can be learned by doing. And I, especially with technology, if you just show somebody, this is how you do an intake and you do it early before you kind of calcify your learning curve by, oh, no, I only do intakes this way then I think you can start really making some progress, but it has to involve more practicums at the, at the law student level and less Socratic method lectures where you know, you're learning a, a certain way. And I think there's value to that, but I don't think you need to spend as much time as law schools spend on it um, to really teach the skills and really get, you know, get the lawyers to, to flex their muscles actually working on cases. Maybe in that third year, maybe that's where it should be all practicum, right? Why not? Why not try that? Absolutely. I, I, I in particular appreciate that comment because I, I think um, that would really help me in my first uh, you know, couple of years like, of starting my career, just knowing the practical aspects of what am I supposed to do? Like I know the different elements of a contract. I can lay them all out for you. I can write a really nice long issue spotter, but how do I draft a contract? What are the different components? <laughs> so right. I, I really appreciate that. And I would have, that would have been very helpful for, for me personally to also know the, what to do rather than just how to, how to think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Let's hope it happens. Well, yeah, we've got a lot of innovation happening in the legal tech space and just attending Legal Week uh, a couple of weeks ago in New York, it was it was just amazing to see the level of excitement, like big law firms were all there. So I think we're in a pretty good space right now. Uh, lots of exciting stuff happening in legal tech. And it's been so wonderful chatting with you today, Sandro, um, getting your insights about how legal tech can make law more accessible and just a different, just a different ways legal tech can touch um, human lives, um, because ultimately law is about human beings, uh, whether that's regulating their behavior or whether that's, uh, um, you know, having like a consequence of some of uh, like human behaviors. Um, really appreciated our, our discussion today, and thank you so much for joining and sharing all your insights. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me, and it's been it's been a pleasure. The practice of law is changing, and we're here for it. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's episode of Rethinking Legal Ops. Follow us for more such insightful conversations about the transformative impact of legal tech. Also, follow Speed Legal and let us know in your comments and messages about how you leverage legal tech solutions to make your work more efficient. See you next time.